welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today's episode, we have an authentic conversation around trans women's health. She is an amazing guest, Claire Rosario. She is actually the user experience and IT infrastructure consultant at High Ivy Health the medical device for pelvic floor um, health and rehabilitation. You can actually check out the interview with the founder of High Ivy, uh, Rachel Bartholomew. That's episode 67. Claire, who's on the High Ivy team, is a self-proclaimed vagina hacker. Oh, yeah. She contributes her expertise in engineering, network security, data compliance, and quality assurance to the advancement of vaginal health. Hell yeah, girl. She enjoys prototyping new hardware devices using her 3D printers and electronics. Claire brings a unique perspective to the challenges surrounding vaginal healthcare, being both a transgendered woman of color and a patient who has gone through sexual reassignment surgery. This is a super important topic that I was grateful to have uh, with, you know, having Claire as a guest to talk to us about it. So enjoy. Hey, Claire. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thanks for having me. I am very excited to have you. Uh, we, You are one of my few interviewees where we had a pre-interview before the interview because this is such an important topic and I wanted to make sure we recorded it right. Well, it is definitely a very important topic. Um, well, to me personally. So I'm very happy to be here. Absolutely. Um, I am just, let me start it off and then I'll probably end it and maybe say it in the middle too. Thank you so much for being with us today because you're going to get real vulnerable with us. You're going to tell us the the truth, truth. And um, that's what we love on this show. So thank you for your time and your honesty uh, right off the get-go. Why don't you tell our listeners who you are and uh, what we're going to talk about today? So, Hi everyone, I'm Claire. I'm Claire Rosario, also known as the, you know, the average trans person. <laughs> so yes, I am a transgender woman. I've been transitioning for close to seven years now. I've had bottom surgery or the surgery, how most people call it. Did you get the bottom surgery? Did you get the snip? It's all wrong when they say things like that. But eh. Yes, I got the snip. Sometimes I just like just telling people, yes, I totally got the snip. They just chopped it all off. Like, no, that's not how, that's not what happens. It it really isn't. (laughs) So yes. So I've been transitioning for about seven years. Um, I've had bottom surgery. I've had small complications from that bottom surgery, which it sucks, but you know, I'm still better for it, which is kind of weird. And it's kind of weird and funny to even say that, like, yeah, you know, my surgery, it went well, but there, I have complications, but it's as good as it could be. So I was like, okay. So yeah, I'm definitely here to talk about all things trans and how, you know, 
trans health and trans women's health is very much a women's health issue. Absolutely. And even just coming to terms to that on myself is like mind-boggling and mind-blown, which has been kind of an interesting year, learning a lot more than I thought I knew everything. That's just that just goes to show that every day you can learn something new, and hopefully everyone does learn something new every day. So yeah, um, awesome. Uh, well, we actually got the introduction to you from a femtech founder. Hi Ivy was, is doing a pelvic floor med device, and uh, she told me, "Oh, well, we have you know a trans woman helping us," and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is the moment. This is the moment I can." have an interview and we can talk as a community about like why at least at Femtech Focus, we strongly believe trans health is Femtech health. And if you are advising and excited about a Femtech product coming out, then I mean, right there, then that's, that's an example, right? Yeah, that's totally an example. And you know, it's interesting because I feel that when we talk about women's health in general and even trans health, everything is siloed. Mm. We are in our little silos and just keep these little pieces of information to ourselves or within our own little community when we fail to realize at times that there's a bigger systemic issue here at times, especially when it comes to women's health. So like, especially, yes, I do consult for, for high, for high IV. Um, it's a product I truly believe in. I've been there since nearly the beginning um, being either the thorn in, in the CEO's back with, you know, getting everything pushing forward or, you know, just trying to get the product pushing forward and, and to bring this idea that, you know, that she had to, to market because I feel that it's such a valuable thing. And it's kind of interesting that, you know, I was just, I was sitting down on a random Zoom call, just hearing out people doing, you know, their business pitches and I hear her talk. And as she's talking about her product and, and her company and everything, and I start realizing like, hey, wait a minute. I have that checkbox. I have that checkbox. I have that checkbox. Like, oh my God, this is not a trans only problem. Yes. And I was like, what the hell? And even when having the conversation with her, she was like, what the hell? This isn't only a, you know, this a cis woman's problem. Yeah. Yeah. This is a women's problem everywhere. So it got very interesting where through this entire journey of trying to help push this product into into existence, into into the market, I got to learn a lot of things I never thought I knew. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm ignorant, maybe I don't know better or anything (laughs) like that at the time. I know a lot more than I do now than I did before. But it was really like surprising that, yeah, there's so many similarities when it comes to just trans health and, and well, trans women's health and, and trans men's health, that it's hard to ignore. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a little sad at times also that, you know, the second anyone hears I'm trans, like, oh, yeah, well, uh, we don't know how to properly treat you. It's like, well, you treat me like every other woman. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, but you were born male. So shouldn't you like, no. And it's interesting to have these conversations with doctors when I ask them, okay, let's do a little, you know, biology 101. What is the difference between a man and a woman? And you'd be surprised at the things you hear them just say. Everyone always targets reproductive system. I'm like, okay, fine. That's one good difference. Uh-huh. But is it the only difference? Oh, well, you know, guys have penises and women have vaginas. 
be warned, I'm going to probably say a vagina a lot. Um, so, <laughs> well, I have a vagina. Does, doesn't that count? Uh, well, I guess, it's like, I do a lot more time educating doctors and my own doctors at that. And I have amazing doctors across the board. Like, I'm very fortunate to have that in my life where I actually have doctors who kind of listen to me, kind of like tell me, okay. But even then, it's always an uphill battle. Yeah. And you're in New York City, right? I am in New York City. Yeah, yeah. So, and I am the lucky one. I'm one of the lucky ones, which is even more sad and, and disheartening mm-hmm. that there's so many you know, trans people in just New York City alone. I can't even fathom the world. Just in New York City alone, there's so many trans people who just don't know anything about their own health, are afraid to go to doctors for anything. They have surgeries. They have had surgeries that have, in my opinion, were really, really bad. There's people who have who have had to have multiple surgeries. Mm-hmm. Technically, I have to have a second surgery, which let me tell you, it, it's not a good feeling to to hear when you've done everything they have told you to do, and then, yeah, yeah, you're pretty much out of luck. You're just gonna have to do another surgery. And then you start talking to other cis women and they're like, yeah, they had me do a bottom. They, they, they had me do surgery down there because I had cancer. Oh, I had this, this particular illness. I had this, I had, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, so how is everything now? It's like, oh yeah, it's horrible. And it's like, this should yeah. not exist. Yeah. So cis women have to have surgery on their pelvic floor for umpteen reasons trans women if they have their bottom surgery have pelvic floor surgery and so that's what leads us to like all of these similarities before we get into them because I know in our pre-interview interview we like read this list that just kept growing and I was like all right it's gonna be a really long podcast we should stop there but before we get into the list of all the similarities can you educate us on trans health by the numbers uh trans health by the numbers numbers in the glo- in the U.S. or trans health numbers in just New York City Oh my God. Well, whatever you feel comfortable telling us, we do have listeners in 52 countries, but I don't, I don't want you to know all 52 country stats. <laughs> so let's give very generic numbers then. So one out of every five trans people go to a doctor for any particular thing. Um, and this can be anywhere from the simple common cold to, you know, hormone treatments. There is a huge black market are in just trans people getting hormones because they're either not understood when they go to medical professionals or they're gotten such a bad, they went through such a bad experience with with a ton of doctors that now they're just afraid. So the black market and doing hormones without having anyone monitor, it's usually dangerous. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of trans people who will beg to differ, but Personally, I think that is always run through us because you don't know what's actually going to happen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's one in five. One in five, that's a crazy amount of number. That's a crazy amount. And they say that that number is even lower, which is kind of sad. And this is just within New York. Now, we start talking about national. Out of every five trans people, sorry to interrupt. I just want to make sure we're clarifying um, that out of every five trans uh, people, one of them is actually seeing a medical professional about transitioning, but the other four are kind of doing it on their own. Usually, which okay. is kind of sad. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it shouldn't, we shouldn't be in a society that, that this is okay. 
Mm-hmm. And this is a problem that's not only unique to New York, the U.S. This is a problem that's, that's systematic across the world. People don't understand trans people in general mm-hmm. or even trans culture in general. And everyone puts their misconceptions up front and think, oh, well, we saw this on TV, so it must be true. Like, didn't everyone learn when, when they were younger, don't believe everything you see on TV? <laughs> um, like, it, it, it usually becomes one of that. So it's always an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a battle that hopefully with time, we will start succeeding more and more and more, which I feel that we are in that trajectory. Mm-hmm. But it's an uphill battle. I mean, we're, we're talking about a lot of people who are not able to get even the basic of healthcare. Mm-hmm. And yet alone, even just insurance. Like, I can tell you that when I transitioned, I, I was pretty successful. I owned, a consulting, I owned a consulting company for nearly 10 years. When I chose to transition, I ended up in a situation where, okay, I need insurance. Okay, how much is insurance for me? Yeah, it was arm and a leg. When, because you had to identify as a transitioned individual? At the time... Uh, the Affordable Care Act wasn't established in the U.S., so pre-existing conditions was very much a thing. Uh-huh. Um, so it made everything more difficult. What about you was considered a pre-existing condition? That I have a mental health issue, which was oh. what it was categorized as, a mental health issue. That's not that long ago either. And it was declassified about a year before it got, it got declassified by the World Health Organization as trans, being transgender as a mental health. Like, really? Like, we had to wait until, like, you know, it's, it's one of those things that it, it, it's so infuriating that I'm always at a loss of words. Like, yeah. why does this type of stuff take such a long time? Yeah. And it's not only that. Like, I can talk all about trans people, but when you start looking at women's health in general, mm-hmm. there's so much misunderstandings or information that is so out of date. Uh-huh. We're talking about stuff and cases that were from the 70s, which are being used as current medical health care. And these mm-hmm. studies were flawed to begin with. They Girl, took a very small... I've done eight episodes and I still have not scratched the surface of all the things we can call talk her about. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's, it boggles the mind. Yeah. When we talk about trans health, most of the case studies that we don't for trans health are from the 50s and 60s. Wow. And I think we've evolved as, we, as a species to understand a little bit more now than we did before. But we what shouldn't is, be using. Yeah. What is a trans health life expectancy? Is it shorter if it's harder to get insurance? And It is very hard to get insurance. And it under the Affordable Care Act, pre-existing conditions are completely eliminated meaning everyone's entitled to coverage but there are loopholes and flaws in that where it makes it very difficult for you to get insurance and if you're fortunate like i was like i had a consultancy eventually my consultancy went under because of my transition Mm -hmm. i transitioned all the companies i worked with were like well we don't we don't want to deal with that like yeah we don't understand that we don't want to deal with that um your liability, like how am I being a liability? I'm still the same person. I'm still the same expert in my field. Mm-hmm. The only thing that changes about what you see on the outside. I'm, I'm still the same, you know, dorky engineer. So it's like, 
and I've actually have had those instances where people have told me, yes, can you please put the, 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 the guy back on? Every time we talked, talked to him, we never had a problem with you. We always have a problem with, I'm like, um, but it was also you, you were also, you were the quote unquote guy they're referring to. Yeah. But- so it's like, um, now? and these are, and these are from people who knew I transitioned, wow. which kind of tells you were they being, um, mm-hmm. malicious in, in, in their statement or was they genuinely forgot that, yeah. you know, and I'm fortunate because I'm very passable. And even I hate that term passable. I think this should, that should never exist. Everyone should just be more comfortable with themselves. But in our society, unfortunately, that is a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm very passable. Like at the time, I got really crazy because I looked like a little girl when I started transitioning and it drove me, drove me bonkers. Um, but that's another conversation for a very different, for a very different <laughs> podcast. Um, but it was interesting to see, like, through my experience, how much crap I had to deal with. Mm-hmm. I used to be able to go into boardrooms and sell a billion dollars worth of technology, and no one bats an eye. I'm a woman now, and I try to do, you know, a fraction of that. Oh no, no, we need to know every T, cross every die. Oh, but we have to make sure that this is the best option. Give us every single option. I'm like, mm-hmm. a year ago, you would not be t- you would not be questioning me. Wow. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And so uh, do trans people live shorter lives compared to non-trans individuals? Unfortunately, there is no study that I've found that has ran that long. But oh, yeah. okay. from what we understand about hormone therapy, what we understand about just people's mental health and life expectancy, the answer is yes. Trans people's lives tend to be shorter. Mm-hmm. And it's from a various of different you know, things. Lack of, lack, of, lack of access to healthcare is usually the biggest problem. Yeah. yeah. So physical healthcare, mental healthcare, the biggest one. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the, the lack of access to just employment. You know, you can't, don't have a job, you don't have insurance, you have insurance, you can't take care of yourself or even buy food. That's right. Then you have the issue of mental health where people are very dismissive of what trans people, you know, say or think or anything like that which unfortunately, statistically, there's a high amount of trans people who have at least attempted suicide. Yeah. Even I have attempted suicide. Oh, so it, it, it's one of those things that it gets very, very difficult. So when you ask, is the trans life expectancy short? I have to say, yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. It shouldn't exist, but it is. But it's a, a whole slew of factors. Yeah. And, you know, like you said in the beginning, we're going to get very nice and vulnerable. Like when I started transitioning, one of the biggest concerns that doctors had was, you know, I have a tumor. <laughs> that tumor started growing when exposed to estrogen. Estrogen was actually stimulating growth of a tumor. Thank God it's benign and didn't grow anymore. But it was enough to be a cause for concern and to be extremely cautious. Wow. And all behind the head and all in the back of my mind is like, I'm not going to stop transitioning. There's mm-hmm. nothing, nothing's that because I'd rather die than stop transitioning, which wow. is yep, kind yep. of crazy. Yeah. Wow. Well, we, I mean, we could talk forever about <laughs> yes, the discrepancies, the inequalities, the just unfairness of it all. I want to get into um, our list of similarities. And now listeners, I want you to visualize, you know, um, a list, two lists next to one another. And one on the top says cis women's health problems and the other list is titled trans women health problems (laughs) and it can also be for trans male trans men so we're going to talk about that too kind of um 
experiences they may be having, but we're going to focus. We have Claire here. And so we're not going to be making any assumptions. We're going to talk about her vagina. <laughs> and we're going to compare it to my vagina and other vaginas we've had on the show. Um, and we're going to see how many things we list are actually in both categories. So let's, I said the word vagina. So let's start with uh, the similarities between a cis woman's vagina and a trans woman vagina who's had bottom surgery. Um, and when you tell, talk to us about some of these similarities, can you also just tell us real quickly, what is bottom surgery? So people can kind of figure out what, what we're talking about. So bottom, bottom surgery, which is what the, most people call it, it's usually GRS, gender confirming surgery. It used to be called SRS, but I have since learned that there's also abbreviation for serious, which is kind of weird. But SRS used to be, you know, sex reassignment surgery, which is not really correct. So GRS is gender conforming surgery, which is usually the, the term that they tend to use. I think there's another term nowadays. I, I have to get up to date with that one. But it, I've had the procedure called vagoplasty. Vagoplasty is pretty much taking the old male penis and re-sculpting it to look and feel like a cis, uh, cis woman's vagina. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the goal. That's ultimately the biggest goal of it. So they restructure everything. They take from the penis head and they restructure that into a clitoris. They use a lot of the skin or, or grass from other locations from, the, from your body to kind of help design the canal. Mm. And then you still have to do the whole process of dilation, which shifts something up there, and that's part of the conversation. But pretty much, once you have bottom surgery and it restructures the penis to look like a vagina, usually it is very, you really much can't tell the difference. Like you cannot tell the difference of my vagina unless I start pointing out like surgical scars. Yeah. It looks aesthetically, it looks like every other vagina. Um, the way it feels, I think it feels like every other vagina. <laughs> um, my partner pretty much tells me it feels like every other vagina that they have <laughs> experienced. Um, and, you know, I, for me, my, my path was, surgery not every trans person have a surgery let's make that very clear not every trans person either wants or needs the surgery i felt like i needed the surgery that it would make me feel better and and help me live my life i can tell you since having the surgery i completely change my entire demeanor change i am usually a lot more positive a lot more happier a lot more giddy go like happy happy joy joy how my you know my mother used to say Claire, you're happy, happy, Georgia. You drive me crazy. Please stop. Um, I can tell you how important it is for trans people to have access to those surgeries. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the outcome on how positive those surgeries are, even when a person has a complication like I, like I have had. It's worth um, it, you're saying. It yeah. is worth it. If you're ready, if you're prepared physically, emotionally, mentally, because mm-hmm. it is a lot. Let me tell you, it is a lot. And there's a lot to learn in a very short time frame. <laughs> so most cis women who, uh, they're born, they're born with, their, with, with their stuff and they still don't understand their stuff. We still don't get it. Person. We still don't know it. <laughs> we literally have workshops on like, what is your vagina? So totally. Um, let's get into, because it's hard, right? But you said it's worth it. it really is. Part of the hard part is the recovery afterwards and the symptoms that you experience. So Talk to us about vaginal dryness and vaginal tightness. Uh, 
I think that would be a whole episode in its own. <laughs> so vaginal dryness. So because the, and it really does depend on the methodology of your surgery and the surgeon performing it, like it really does come down to those two big factors. Mm-hmm. Most trans women cannot, you know, create any type of self-lubrication. Mm-hmm. Um, some can, depending on a particular surgery. I can also, but it's never going to be enough mm-hmm. as a cis woman. It, it's just, yeah, you don't have the, you don't have the package. You don't have the particular glands that creates that mucus inside of there, but you do develop flora down there. So I can catch an infection, a yeast infection, like any other woman, oh. um, which is <sighs> the yeast infections are the worst things. They're, they're Wait, like the gift that keeps are coming back. They are the worst. I like take a week off from my life. I'm such a baby. I can't. <laughs> so yeah, lube is your friend. Is what I'm telling. Even for cis women, lube is always your friend. But you, it can become very difficult. So. For example, I'm a very much an outdoors person. I love hiking and stuff like that. I've had moments where it's a little too dry down there and everything's kind of like rubbing up against each other. And then I, I just go into sheer pain that just knocks me to my knees. That's the dryness. Yeah. That is one of the most uncomfortable feelings ever. Yeah. I did not know how uncomfortable that was. Until I experienced it. And my mother suffered of the same the, the same type of dryness. Your cis mother, woman mother. My cis mother, the one the woman who gave birth to me ex- experienced the exact same thing after every child she had. Wow. And as she had gotten older, she experienced the same thing. So it's like menopause, right? Yeah, because of menopause. Yeah. So I was like, um, okay. And how's it well, Welcome to womanhood. I'm like, that's not a good thing to say. Damn it, womanhood. You suck. So, all right, listeners, if you're keeping tabs, we got yeast infection. Boom, boom. Put it on both lists. Vaginal dryness. Boom, boom. Put it on both lists. What can solve these? Probably the solution could be used for both, but we got to make sure that we're being mindful of the whole market and not just the cis, you know, women's market because. Claire's over here with the dry vagina. She's trying to hike a mountain, y'all. A, Try help her out. A dry, tight vagina. Oh, that tightness. comes down to it. That's another problem. It makes it makes intercourse really difficult. Mm-hmm. And I'm very open about all of these things. So I apologize if I make anyone feel uncomfortable. But yes, it is very tight. Imagine trying to put my partner size thingy down there. It, it gets very, very tight, very, very quickly. Sometimes it's com- sometimes it's pleasurable. Sometimes most of the time it's not. Yeah. It is what it is. And but we hear this a lot from cis women. Painful sex. Their vagina is too tight. The the solution doctors give you. Oh, you have to dilate. You have to dilate some more. Oh, maybe physical pelvic floor physical therapy will will, will be. I've done physical. I've done pelvic physical therapy two times for ten weeks. Yeah, if it was going to work, it was going to work. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so my outcome is, oh, well, we're going to have to do surgery and open you up, Make which it. is kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. Me, uniquely, I have a particular problem where I drew a scar tissue band across. So I've also lost depth. I oh, can't wow. put a, a penis of full girth in there. It's like, it, it's so painful. And when it hits that scar tissue band. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So it gets very interesting. Um, the O-nut is your friend. <laughs> Um, the Ona, Ona is- founder of Ona, if you are on here, 
you're listening. I have been wanting to interview you. If anyone knows her, tell her to call me. Um, but Claire, that's, I, we didn't even add this to our pre-interview list. I'm going to add it now. But women who have cancer and they get radiation treatment, uh, their cervix, their ovary, their colon, they get scar tissue in their vagina and it makes sex painful. Oh my God, here we go, y'all. Another similarity, scar tissue in vaginas. So, you know, it, it, it gets very interesting. Like when you start talking to, like I can, I can introduce you to 15 trans women who have had bottom surgery and each one of them are going to tell you a different problem that they had mm -hmm. and if i get 15 cis women who have had complications from all sorts of things from childbirth to from surgery from treatments uh and have them talk about it i guarantee you that almost both sets of demographics of the people are going to tell you the exact same problems which is mind-boggling mm -hmm. it's like how can this be we don't even know how the vagina is structured properly. And I went ahead and did surgery to get the best approximation. Yeah. And you mentioned pelvic floor therapy and dilators, which essentially is a phallic looking object that women are told to press up into their vagina to stretch it out and break up scar tissue. That's exactly what cis women are prescribed. So you're literally getting the same thing. And that's, I, I you know, Spoiler alert, hi Ivy. That's you know why you're working with them on trying to make a better, better system there. But there that's a cis woman founder, trans woman, same problem, same thing being subs, uh, prescribed. So after my last fleet of pelvic floor physical therapy, I love my I love my doctors, I love my physical my physical therapists. Um, I started getting very curious. I'm like, you know something, what is the freaking problem? I can't tell. I, I can only go based on what they're telling me. I can't like shove a camera up in there. Well, truth is I can shove a camera up there. But yeah. should you shove a camera up there for a conversation? Hey, go pro. <laughs> but I got very, very angry. And I actually ended up setting out. After being told I'm going to have to do another surgery, I got very, very angry. That I set out like, you know something? I am an engineer. I'm an infrastructure engineer, but I'm a hobbyist who likes to build and tinker with stuff. What would it take for me to fix my own problem, design and build a product just to fix my own problem? Mm -hmm. Now, I was already doing my own development before I joined forces with High Ivy, mm -hmm. um, because High Ivy was just a little bit further along than I was. So I was like, it just makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> but it was one of those things that I got so angry and I was like, you know something, I'm going to hack the vagina. And I feel that we're hack the, us at, hack the vagina. I love let's it. Let's hack the vagina. And, and that's one of the things that I try to push high IV towards. Like we're, you know, vagina hackers. We're trying to understand the vagina. We're trying to get accurate information about the vagina. We're trying to get, we're trying to make it very transparent and make this conversation like accessible to everyone. Yes. And from all the people we have talked to and interviewed since just you know, working with Hy-Vee and, and just working with a lot of people is, holy shit, there's a big problem here. So let's try to demystify these things. Let's try to clear these things up. Let's try to give, you know, patients, everyone always talks like patients should be their own advocates. Mm -hmm. That is true. Patients should be their own advocates to a point. You don't know what you don't know, but if you have a little bit more info, maybe you, your doctor, 
um, your family can all make a informed decision yeah. because it's one of the biggest annoying things that going through this experience has taught me. The doctors make assumptions. They're guesses. Mm-hmm. They're guesses based on their own experience, statistics from where they learned from. But we never question what if the statistics that they learned from are incorrect. That's right. Could could those doctors be unknowingly pushing a you know false information onto patients without actually ever noticing because they were taught by some other more seasoned doctor that this is the way it should be. Yeah, that's right. Or they didn't learn it at all. Only, you know, less than, uh, I think it's something crazy, like 80% of OB-GYNs never learn about menopause in training. And it's like, wait, what? Huh? How is that possible? So again, we love doctors here, MDs. Thank you for all you do. You are frontline workers. And we need to revolutionize women's health education, right? Yeah, like it was one of the things that someone at my surgeon's office told me that we don't like to follow the curve. We like to set the curve, mm-hmm. meaning we tend to do everything well-informed, very scientific with a lot of info and iterate on the healthcare for future trans people. Kind of doesn't make you feel that it feels like you're being a guinea pig, but the reality is we're all guinea pigs when we get to the doctor. Yeah. That's why they call it, you know, medical practice because it's a, it's a practice. <laughs> yes. Um, but yes, I love my doctors. I love my surgeon. Yes. Um, I, I don't think she can do anything that would piss me off too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's a very challenging woman. I, uh, I respect that and I appreciate that. She believes in educating her, mm-hmm. you know, her patients. Mm-hmm. She, right before my surgery, she did a vagioplasty class. She took a whole bunch of people who were going to be having the surgery within the six, within the six months, put them in an auditorium, which I'm assuming you can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. stood up a whole bunch of other trans people the entire you know staff of her office and the hospital staff who are all going to be working with you with your care so you can ask questions and get to know them and actually put you know names to faces oh, so that is unique in yeah. every aspect yeah you know the surgery let's talk about the surgery a bit and the recovery process of it mm-hmm. typically the trans recovery process most surgeons usually want you to recover for anywhere between 10 weeks well Eight, eight weeks to about 16 weeks. Usually is what most surgeons recommend for don't do anything strenuous. My surgeon, she was like, okay, if I did my job wrong, then you wouldn't be walking out of here on your own two feet. Huh. Most trans people who go to surgery can't even do anything on their own. Wow. A, a week after my surgery, I was running around the hospital floor Nine days after my surgery, I was going to my friend's house, hanging out, making fun of her surgery that she just had on her foot. And, and I got it's time for me to dilate and just spreading it open right to her couch, which I'm assuming it made her very uncomfortable. Like, oh, doctor says I have to do it. It's medically necessary. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of medical devices in the surgery, we spoke about like they essentially just stuck gauze up to keep your new vagina open. And my co-founder, Dr. Julia Keem, is the inventor of a vaginal stint, specifically because she does reconstructive surgery on uh, pediatric girls. And she was tired of putting gauze up these little girls' vaginas, and she invented a stint. But I told her, I was like, trans women is your next market, because tell us about your experience with that. Oh, let's, let's talk about that. 
Um, I'll be more than happy to share all that graphic details if people, anyone ever wants to see all of the recovery process. I'm very graphic. I'm, I apologize for that. <laughs> Actually, I, don't th- I don't think I do apologize for that. It's, yeah. an educa- it's a learning process. Yeah. <laughs> so when they have the surgery, one of the biggest things is that they all shove you full of packing. They use what's called a medical dilator to scope and, sh- scope and structure the vagina cavity around mm-hmm. this dilator. It's usually the biggest dilator set that they give you oh. that... It's a, usually give you a set of four. Sometimes they give it to you. Sometimes you got to buy them on your own. But one thing's for sure, when you leave out that door, you have to have one in your hand. (laughs) Um, So pretty much once they remove like all the tape and all the tape and everything to hold it in, what they end up doing is putting so much gauze up in there, packing it stuff. Then they put a little compressor machine that is constantly squeezing and sucking out any residual pus and blood trying to keep the area as clean as humanly possible while you have stitches on the inside which we can talk about that in a sec (laughs) when the surgeon goes to pull that out Mm -hmm. there is nothing in the world that could prepare you for that experience yeah um i can tell you with complete confidence and i apologize to my doctor for it I wanted to kick her head in when she pulled out that gauze. Mm-hmm. And this was me on ibuprofen, Tylenol, and Oxy. Mm-hmm. It was, I didn't think I could feel that level of pain. Mm-hmm. They and have to pull it out. For women who have surgery in their vagina for any cancers, reconstructive surgery, uh, damage from sexual assault or trauma, like car accidents, it's, it's the same right? So how can we make your pain decreased is the same as the cis women who are also having vaginal surgery. Correct. And, and, and it's one of those things that it's like, wow. And mind you, during that whole taking the gauze out, not even 10, not even five minutes go by when the doctor has to shove the big dilator in there. So imagine not having surgery and having a doctor shove this big i believe this 35 millimeter wide dilator which my surgeon tried to shove up there that that was not going we had to go down a size um and even just her pushing that in she was being gentle to me it wasn't gentle it was it was excruciating it was an experience i never felt in my life wow um so yeah it it can get bad (laughs) Well, we've talked a lot about vaginas. I love talking about vaginas. Me too. I want to continue our list, listeners, and I want to talk about other things besides vaginas, such as um, experience in uh, healthcare delivery. So one of the things that you talked about that I said, oh my God, that's, we talk about that in cis women's health too, which is uh, doctors not believing your pain. So there's this huge issue of cis women going to doctors saying, you know what, this doesn't feel right. And the doctor's dismissing it. Um, it's a huge systemic issue, especially for Black women in particular. Um, and then I heard you tell me in our pre-interview interview that you're like, yep, yeah, I go to the doctor and sometimes they're like, oh no, that's normal. And you're like, no, I know my body. I know it's a different body now, but I know it. And this is normal. Tell us about that experience. Uh, pretty much one month after the surgery, I started noticing small problems. Mm-hmm. And some of the problems were the barrier wasn't going far enough. Compar- comparative to what it was going yeah. before mm-hmm. so that started the first conversation something's not right i'm having a hard time urinating holding my urine 
I had a lot of uh, added to the list. (laughs) Yep. I had a lot of mishaps and it's like, okay, my body's so, I get it. My body's very still numb from the surgery, stuff like that. But it's still like, okay, this isn't normal. Mm -hmm. Um, From there, it was talking to the doctor. Oh, yeah, we'll we'll sign you up for physical therapy. So I got signed up for physical therapy, going to physical therapy. Do, putting the dilator in front of the physical therapist, having this physical therapist do massages inside of it to try to break down scar tissue, stuff like that. The importance of breaking down scar tissue is huge. Wow. Um, you think you're ready? You're not ready until you go through it. Um, and going back to the doctor, okay, this isn't working. There is a problem. Well, yeah, we just do more physical, ther- more physical therapy. Okay, fine. Do, do as you're told. A lot of people just blindly do what they're told. Yeah, yeah. One of them, because your doctor should know more. Mm-hmm. I still think my surgeon knows more than I do. Um, she has more experience in it than I do. Mm-hmm. But at the end but of the day, it's your body. It's right? my body. There is something yeah. wrong. Something's not right. So over the course of the next few months, I started realizing the dilator would not go. And if anyone have ever seen one of these medical dilators, they're about they're about 13, 14 inches long. Give or take, I'm probably wrong wow. about that, but and they range from girth from about 10 millimeters all the way to about 35 millimeters. Those are the US standard dilators that are available for you know patients who have gone through the surgery and even cis women. Yep. yep. When you get a medical set of dilators, it's the exact same, the exact same stuff. It's a big stick in medical grade and medical grade hard silicone, which is the most uncomfortable thing in the world and has a weird angle, which no vagina in my opinion in the world is shaped like that. But yeah. you told to put that up there. Yeah. So going through that entire experience, you tell the doctor, yeah, this isn't normal. This is normal. Okay. Just dilate, dilate, dilate. The answer to everything was dilate more, dilate, dilate more. Well, now comes the conversation about sex. Well, have you had sex yet? Well, no, because it's painful for anything to go in there. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, no, no, you're, you're, probably not, you're not probably not dilating right. You have to relax. You have to think. You have to calm yourself. It's probably all in your head. I'm like, um, no, it hurts. It's a difference between it being in my head and me being tight, which I can understand that uh, yeah. Yeah, I can be tight from that. I get that. But if I'm actually very relaxed or I've done everything in my power to keep myself relaxed, mm-hmm. meditate, breathing exercises, pr- dilating prior to, to sexual intercourse, which then makes sexual intercourse feel like a chore, then a fun thing that every person <laughs> yeah. should experience, yeah. uh, you know, men or women and everyone in between, mm-hmm. you know, it becomes a chore. Oh, I have to prep myself in order to have intercourse. That shouldn't be the case. Like sometimes you just want to get a little horny. Put th- slather, of, you know, a little bit of lube, and go to town. Enjoy yourself, but it's not the case. It's always prepping yourself. Mm-hmm. So having intercourse and it's painful, painful, painful. Then yeah. comes the recommendations. Oh, you should try this other this other device. I'm like, okay, how much is it? Oh, it's three hundred and fifty dollars. Okay, so can I get a prescription? Oh, but we can't prescribe it. It's just a device that's on the market. Uh-huh. At the time, it was the only device on the market that 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 function in that way and it's like okay let me get it i quickly ordered it as i was walking out of the doctor's office nothing like there was no amount of money that i would be willing to sacrifice to take care of my vagina and my health Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
getting that. Okay, great. First one broke on me. That was a scary moment. Second one started using it, so I felt like it was I wasn't getting any benefit from it. Time for scheduling pelvic physical floors two. And it's like, well, if it didn't work the first time, I mean, it helped in just you know urine, you know all my urine, all my urine problems helped some of the scar tissue reduction. It didn't help anything for dilation. It just yeah. it sucked it any way you try to put it. Because Let's do it the, round two. As because at the end of the day, they finally discovered that you had a scar tissue that was growing diagonally across the vagina, and that's the that issue, scar right? tissue was known and identified early in the recovery process. Wow. And so you're complaining, you're saying the dilator's not getting up there, and all they're saying is like, you know, intercourse yourself harder, <laughs> drink some wine, you know. Yeah, keep dilating. The scar tissue will break down. Yeah. I'm like, well, I don't think. Then it comes the question. Then you start coming up with the questions. Am I dilating wrong? Yeah. Am I, am I doing something wrong that's causing this? That's you start right. to internalize a lot of this that's stuff. Right. Women, not, this women, how many of you can identify with this? You know? And like, it, it comes down to like, okay, you start to internalize all of this. Like you're doing yeah. something wrong. I don't think there was anything I did wrong. Yeah. I don't think there was, I, at least I hope, nothing that my doctor did wrong. I think it was a lack of information, a lack of knowledge mm-hmm. that if we had something that could monitor, you know, what I was doing at home, would my care be different if we had those, you know, that, you know, that information available to me so I can make an informed decision? Yeah. Maybe I should, maybe I should have been asking for the second surgery sooner. Or maybe we should have just been prescribing a second surgery sooner. The answer is no one knows. And it's sad because we don't have the knowledge. We don't have the information because we still, as a society, don't understand women in general, trans or cis. We just don't. So it becomes, it's a systemic issue. It becomes a bigger problem at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. One that I hope to kind of start fixing with my vagina hacking. Yes, hack the vagina. Hack the vagina. vagina. (laughs) Well, the last thing on our list I wanted to cover is um, hormones. So in particular, estrogen. So, you know, women, we have all this estrogen our whole lives. We hit menopause. We don't have any more estrogen. And there are consequences like brittle bones. Our brain health suffers. Our heart health suffers. And they, they, you know, more and more studies are coming out that it's estrogen linked. Um, you know, trans women take estrogen, right? And so can you tell us some of the consequences, both short and long-term of, of taking or not having estrogen? So the first thing to understand is not all trans people go the hormone route. Mm-hmm. Hormones isn't for everyone. Everyone has a different path to follow. Some people do it, some people don't. Doctors that are short and premature, like, it's just like, let's get you on hormones, are wrong for doing that. And Patients who are not um, mentally ready for that is also wrong. You have to really truly be ready in order to go down that route of hormones because hormones are dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, They're dangerous and the implications from them are huge. And even the the delivery of those hormones have their own consequences. Mm -hmm. So for example, I take estrogen, I take estrogen some lingual, meaning I take a little pill, put it underneath my tongue, let it dissolve, and there goes my dose for estrogen. I do it two times a day. Used to be three times a day before I had surgery, and I also took another. I, I took a kind of a testosterone block called spirolactone, 
which before the surgery was necessary to suppress my testosterone levels to allow the estrogen levels to go, you know, grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, then you had the whole issue of, okay, what are the risks of, ha- you know, taking it estrogen orally? Well, it's being piped through your kidneys. So you're at a higher risk of kidney failure because of it. Wow. Um, because you're, it's a lifelong thing. You don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to do hormones today and I'm going to do it tomorrow. Uh-huh. The reality is either you do hormones or you don't do hormones. But if you do hormones, you're doing it for life. Mm-hmm. It's really important for you to keep up with your hormones, which brings us to a whole different conversation of access to healthcare, mm-hmm. which is a whole different conversation on that alone. So, so, and I'm first going to start with speaking from the things I've experienced, mm-hmm. and then we can start talking about it. High thyroids, liver, liver, liver issues, kidney function, um, kidney function issues, um, the brittle bones. Like I've have, uh, nearly broken a few of my bones. Um, bone density, bone density has decreased, meaning if I hurt myself in any capacity, if I get in a car accident. I am at a higher risk of severe breakage. That's women postmenopause. Yeah. Let's talk, start talking about some of the things. Some of the menopause symptoms. A lot of trans people experience those symptoms when they don't have access to their homes. They had access and they lose access. Mm-hmm. Whitehead, dizziness, vomiting. You get crave weird cravings. I'm starting to sound like you're a pregnant woman. Oh yeah, that's right. Because pregnant women have higher levels of estrogen and testosterone in their system, which contributes to these exact same things. So you start feeling like a pregnant woman at times (laughs) or a woman going through, or a woman going through menopause. It's what you start to feel when you're off of it. Wow. When you're on it, it can also stimulate growth of certain cancers. I'm at a higher risk of prostate cancer. I'm at a higher risk of, well, in my case, a brain, you know, brain cancer. Um, There are so many things that, can just screw you up off one of the things that a lot of people don't ever really realize is that a lot of people who are estrogen have issues with clotting meaning a simple cut can be dangerous if your body doesn't clot correctly so if you have too much estrogen in your system it is very dangerous it's one of the reasons why when you go for surgery they tell you to stop stop taking those hormones immediately because they want you to be able to Oh, what you will call it? Clot correctly yeah, because yeah. if you're hemorrhaging on the on the table, <laughs> not it's a bad day for them. <laughs> not a good day. Well, you know, there's so many women that I speak with, cis women, that say, "Oh, I just need to regulate my hormones. I want to track my hormones. I'm trying to get pregnant, or I'm trying to figure out if my, you know, headaches are correlated with it." And so, tracking your hormones, knowing the levels of your hormones, same problem for both trans and cis women. So I have also experienced something that as the very simplistic way of calling it is estrogen poisoning, which is also a problem when you have too much estrogen in your system and your entire body goes out of whack. And that's also very dangerous. Um, I can tell you that I got very sick from it and, and very sick that I even had to be hospitalized. So, you know, you run the risk of anytime when you're screwing on your hormones to cause a bigger problem. That's right. And meanwhile, uh, millions and millions of women are on daily birth control hormone (laughs) for their whole life. And there are a lot of women who can't handle it, quote unquote, handle because of the symptoms that it causes when you mess with your hormones, 
there there can be dire consequences. So, yeah, and it's you know it's interesting when when you talk about birth control, a lot of people don't know the history behind birth control, and and how it came into existence. And and it, I would ask anyone to just do a little research. What happened to the first pioneer women who started taking you know birth control? You know. How all the complications, all the health risks that they experienced that are lifelong, that yes. a few of them even died from it. Yeah. And you then learn, of, and you look up trans health and what was the method of delivering estrogen into trans women? It was birth control. A lot of trans women from the early days, from the 50, well, actually, a little bit from the, not from the 50s, but from like the 60s to like the 90s mm-hmm. a lot of them when they didn't have access to you know quote unquote estrogen they took birth control because it almost did the exact same thing oh is, my god and dangerous <laughs> so wow to think that wow it isn't for everyone for yeah the people who it's great for it is great for yeah. but for the ones who are not Sometimes you're playing Russian roulette and sometimes you just have to outweigh the benefits to the risk mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you have to make informed decisions. If you don't have the information, how can you know what's best for you? That's right. And that's why we do this podcast. So we have the show. We hope to be another resource for women, uh, both trans and cis and men, men, you live amongst women. You should know too, right? Claire, this has been incredible. The list is so long. How many things are similar between cis women's health and trans women's health? Um, we at Femtech Focus are going to continue to fight for innovation for trans women's health and trans health in general. Um, I want to leave our listeners with one last question for you. Um, I know you're working with a Femtech startup that has to do with uh, pelvic floor therapy. Is there other areas in trans women's health that you think still need innovating? in trans women's health or in trans health in general yeah it's access to healthcare. Mm-hmm. the research has to be done and completed on the long-term effects of hormone therapy on the risk of you know people who choose to transition at a younger life at a younger age or an older age mm-hmm. i think there's a book that you can write of all the things that would have to ha- happen for the trans community to truly have equal access to healthcare in general. Um, And it goes from the way we discuss, the way we talk about it to the way we understand about it. And when it comes down to technology, because I'm a technologist, you know, that's what I do in my life. I'm a technologist. I think the technology will evolve to accommodate those needs. So for the perfect example of me working with a startup whose focus is on the pelvic floor, you know, there's, there is where there's a problem. It's universal. Let's address this problem. Let's get the information out there. Let's get people comfortable with themselves and get people not to be afraid to have these hard discussions with, you know, their loved ones, their, you know, they're doctors. You'd be surprised at how many cis women would never talk about, you know, vaginal dryness or painful intercourse. Mm -hmm. Intercourse is not supposed to be painful, unless you're into that kind of thing. But 
intercourse is not supposed to be painful. It just isn't supposed to be enjoyable. It should be fun. It should be intimate between you and your partner. That's what it should be. That's right. But women don't talk about these things. That's right. And guess what? Trans women don't talk about these things either. So we need to start making making these conversations normalized so that way we as a society, as a species can evolve and hopefully, you know, treat each other with a little bit more respect and, you know, we all get to see each other live until like 105. I love it. Claire, thank you so much for your time today. You are a miracle, amazing advocate, and we really appreciate your vulnerability and time today. It, it was definitely a pleasure. I love talking about these things. Awesome. I just ended the audio. I'm going to save it really quickly. And then we like to ask one last thing where we, um, let me save this trans health interview done. Um, we like to ask one last thing. I like to do, um, a, uh, um, speaker, uh, a little screen recording of you saying, hi, my name is Claire and fam- femtech to me is, and then you say something. And normally people say something that's kind of similar to what they talked about. So maybe you can say like the dozens of similarities between cis and trans women's health or something like that. What do you think? Okay. Um, I would assume trans health, femtech to me is about everyone understanding their trans women and cis women understanding their health and advocating for what they need to make themselves feel better, happy, and succeed in life. I femtech is to me. I love it. All right. So I'm going to press record and then I'll just like point at you and go. And if you mess it up, don't worry, just shake it off and do it again. But just start it off with my name is Claire and femtech to me is all right. Hi, my name is Claire Rosario. Femtech to me is the ability to bring women's health and health in general and make it very transparent to everyone. I, I screwed that up. That's okay. That's okay. Also, can you look up here? Because you're looking at, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I'm doing it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. Look up there. Yeah, my camera's up there. <laughs> Whenever you're ready, go ahead. Okay. Femtech to me is, hi, my name is Claire. Femtech to me is the understanding of women's health, cis and trans, and making it as transparent and fun and understanding it can be. So hopefully we can evolve as a species. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I I have to do, I do that in every single interview. (laughs) So funny, so funny, good. Well, that's it. Um, Sue will follow up with you about when uh, we're going to drop it. We just need your like um, headshot. um, And if you want us to tag you, any tags you want us to do. And um, we'll probably post, you know, maybe we'll tag Hi Ivy. That'd be pretty cool. Um, And then that's, that's it. We're going to advocate for trans women's health. And I love it. Well, hopefully either I pissed off a lot of people, which I always aim to do, um, <laughs> or we educated a lot of people. Hopefully. I think we educated. I, I think it was a really, have done both. I think we did a great job of articulating and being like in the, 
in the know in terms of like the science, the healthcare. We didn't, you know, I think we did awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Nope, it was a pleasure. It was a blast. Um, I only have one question. Did you watch the other video? I didn't because I did, I felt bad. I was like nervous to watch it because I was like, they, she said it was a bad video. It's a bad video, in my opinion. Um, yeah. But I also think it's a good video because it, right. st- right. it still started the conversation. I don't like how I became clickbait. Mm-hmm. It's like my face and like the big price tag off my hospital bill as the thumbnail. I, I think they did everyone a disservice and did a bait and switch on us. Um, I still loved it. I still love doing it. I'm, I would never do another one with, with Insider ever again. But I, I think it was one of those things that it was a lot of fun. And it was just, it was a lot of fun to see the hate too. It's like, it, not, it taught me something about people's misunderstandings about trans health. And yeah. from that one, at least it waited until it was over. <laughs> um, that's just the packages. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it pops up on my screen when someone's at the doorbell. So oh, cool. That's just the, that's just the delivery guy. <laughs> but yeah, it was interesting to watch because how many people didn't understand what we were talking about and how it was cut. And one of the biggest things that people were talking about was cancer patients and how they... I talked about access to healthcare and stuff like that and how many people jumped on that statement alone and just spewed a lot of hate. Like, well, people who have cancer don't get to have everything they watch. Why should you? I'm like, well, they totally should have yeah. access to healthcare. Yeah. Like, yeah. We shouldn't be doing this or yeah. my last job. We had a separate cancer insurance plan. Like seriously? job before that they had a separate plan for you know women for women who are going to go for for um ivf like why can't it just be all in one plan why do we have to separate them yeah no definitely um it's a lot it's a longer conversation about healthcare and my frustrations with insurance companies in general which i i can i can write a book on it i've been told to write a book on it but but anyways Cool. Thank you so much. And we will be in touch um, and let us know however we can support you. Okay. Yeah. I'm probably just going to rebuild like my personal website um, and grab one of my pictures, like the full res picture of my LinkedIn profile because it just Mm -hmm. probably makes sense and easier. And I actually look cute in that and look like a little girl, which. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great evening. Okay. Yes. All right. It was a pleasure. Until next time. Ciao. Thank you for listening to our interview with Claire Rosario, the user experience and IT infrastructure consultant at High Ivy Health. I'm so grateful for Claire's vulnerability and authenticity about her experience. It's not often that we can walk around and just say, tell me about your vagina. Tell me your vagina story. So I'm really, really grateful for such a vulnerable conversation because... I think this is a really important conversation to have, and it was really important for me to outline where the similarities were between cis women's health and trans health. There are so many things that cross over, and at Femtech Focus, we are proud and adamant about trans health being a part of the Femtech conversation and innovation need. 
RDFEM fans, if you love our content, then please consider donating to Femtech Focus. We are a nonprofit. We still have our Giving Tuesday campaign running through the end of the year. Your contributions go directly to helping us elevate the Femtech industry. You can also support the show by sharing it with a friend, subscribing, and leaving a review. To stay up to date on Femtech news and events, follow us on social at Femtech Focus, subscribe to our newsletter, and join our virtual community at femtechfocus.org. And until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.